So to give a little context, uh, Peter and John um, have gone to the temple and a man has been healed that they uh, interacted with. And these are some of the results of that. While he, the, the, the paralyzed man who had been healed, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over to and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer... He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him all proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The Bible says of itself that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for a new morning and the opportunity to come and set our hearts and minds upon you. Thank you that you direct our steps. Thank you that... In you we live and move and have our being, and I pray that uh, for this next uh, 30 minutes or so that you would show us yourself in ways that we've never seen you before, beautiful, glorious, wonderful, the almighty God, everlasting Father. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. There are so many joys of parenthood. All you parents in here know about the joys of watching your children take their first steps, remembering those first words that your children spoke to you. Hopefully they were daddy and not mama. Um, Watching them learn to ride bicycles, maybe watching them score their first run in a t-ball game or score their first goal in soccer. And one of those precious memories for me uh, in the past few years has been Uh, when my son Benjamin learned how to mow the grass. (laughs) I just sat on the porch and watched, look at him out there. Um, 
And after, after about 15 minutes when the, uh, the excitement of mowing the grass wore off and the, the reality began to set in with my son uh, that uh, mowing the grass is actually kind of a hard job. And uh, if you've lived here for very long, you know that uh, the summers can be hot here. And uh, sometimes your grass grows so quickly that you have to mow it more than once a week. And uh, so after one of the first times Ben mowed the whole backyard, he finished and he was hot, he was exhausted, he was soaking wet with sweat. And I walked out toward him with, uh, with the hose and I acted like I was going to hose off the mower, you know, because I needed to clean it or something. And uh, instead, I turned the hose on him and uh, just soaked him with water. And uh, he just kind of relaxed. And he even smiled a little bit. And uh, that was one of the first things that I thought about to illustrate the idea of refreshing. He was refreshed by that cold water from the hose. And... uh, the idea of refreshing and refreshment is something that's, that's beautiful. It's a great word for us. You know, you're working really hard out in the yard. You're doing something. And uh, someone brings you a big gold, cold glass of water or a Gatorade. You're refreshed. Maybe you take a nap and you're refreshed or renewed and you're able to do uh, what you wanted to do the rest of that day. Maybe you're in a rut in your job. Uh, and you get some time off, you try something new, uh, you get to take a vacation, you have a change of pace, and the way we describe it is, man, it was, it was just such a refreshing time. It was such a refreshing time. And uh, one of the promises from Peter's sermon here in Acts chapter 3 is that there is refreshing and restoration and blessing in and through Jesus Christ. That's one of the promises that we have from this this passage, that through Jesus Christ there is refreshing and renewal. And that is a promise that can mean so much to folks like us who live in a world where so many people are burned out, so many people are worn down, and I know that some of us in this room feel that way and and learning and experience experiencing refreshing from God is something that can be such an appealing concept to us. So before we look at the passage and talk about what that means, um, I want to remind you of a few things. First of all, this is we're still in the beginning stages of God's promise to his apostles that they'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So this is Uh, uh, where the gospel is going forward in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, last week I said that you had to come back to hear the second part of this story. Thank you guys for coming back. And uh, actually, there isn't really resolution to this story at the end of chapter 3. So I'm sorry, but you'll have to come back next week to find exactly what happens. This is is our new church growth uh, plan, cliffhangers from the book of Acts. And... uh, So let's look at the passage together. Um, Just in general, there's this healing. Peter and John uh, were able by the power of Jesus to heal this paralyzed man. And and one of the first things that Peter does is he sets the record straight. He sets the record straight. Uh, 
he lets these people know what really happened to this man who'd been healed. And he lets them know exactly what happened as their lives intersected with the life of Jesus Christ. And one of the first things that Peter does as he preaches is he he says, don't look at us. Don't look at us. We've all been in, in a roommate situation, maybe with your family. Somebody gets up from the couch, they walk into the kitchen, and the ice cream is sitting out on the counter. And the dad, myself, says something like, who left the ice cream out? And everyone in the family goes, don't look at me. Don't look, it wasn't me. Don't look at me. And in some way, that's what Peter and John are doing here. This, this man was born with a disability that prevented him from walking. His whole life, had, he'd known uh, this disability, this being paralyzed. For most of his life, he'd gone to the temple probably every single day asking people for help to take care of him. He couldn't go there on his own power, but he was carried there by his family or friends. And now, it says in verse 9, that all the people saw him walking and praising God. Verse 10, they were amazed. Verse 11 says that he was clinging to Peter, and all the people were utterly astounded, and they ran together to Solomon's portico. So he was a man who'd never walked, and now he was an experienced walker and jumper, and he was uh, demonstrating the power of of God, And one of the very first things Peter does in this sermon is he says, why are you staring at us? Why are you looking at us as if by our power or our holiness, we were able to heal this man? This is not about us. And it's an important reminder here, something we'll see throughout the book of Acts, but uh, these extraordinary healings, these extraordinary miracles that the apostles were able to do through the power of Jesus Christ, they served a very important purpose. They served to help uh, reinforce the inauguration. They helped to authenticate the ministry and reign of Jesus Christ. So these men were able, by the power of Jesus Christ, to heal this man And it pointed to, as we've seen before, like a floodlight, like a searchlight, pointed to Jesus as the one who did the work. He was the one that healed this man. And it's not because, it says in verse 12, not because of any special powers that Peter and John had, not because they were especially holy people, but it was because of Jesus. And, uh, you know, this is... It's beautiful if we look at verse 12, we see that that, or verse 13, it says it's not because of us, but this promise is rooted in the Old Testament. It's rooted in the promises of God to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, the God of your fathers. And I want us to think just for a moment about how this, this response, this beginning from Peter and John, how that can translate to our lives. One of the first things he said was, it's not about us. Don't look at us like by our own power or piety we did this. And as you think about ministry, as you think about caring for people, as we think about loving people and that part in us that wants to see others know Jesus and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think sometimes we believe that uh, we've got to get it all right in order to really connect with people and share the gospel with them. Um, 
And it's, I think it's important for us to hear here that uh, Peter said it's not about our power or, or our piety. Now, God calls us to live a holy life. He calls us to move in that direction as people, but it doesn't depend on us getting every word right. You can move toward people with the love of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't depend on you having the perfect day. You know, God's kingdom is still at work when you have bad days. It's about Jesus. God's kingdom won't come crashing down when we don't say all the right things or doesn't go, things don't go exactly the way that we planned. God is the one working. God is the one changing people. And uh, I think it's beautiful how Peter sets the record straight by beginning and saying, it's not about us. This is about Jesus Christ. And that's the first thing I want us to see. Secondly, um, he... He reminds them that they're guilty as charged. And uh, he talks about uh, a little bit about the promises. This isn't from us. This is from the God of our fathers. And then he goes straight into the hard truth that these people here were part of uh, the crew, part of the folks that uh, were personally responsible for uh, crucifying Jesus Christ. Basically, in verse 13, uh, in spite of what you did and how you acted, God delivered and glorified his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, there's several ways this is described. It says in verse 14 that you denied the holy and the righteous one. And that, that phrase, the holy and righteous one, is a clear reference to Isaiah 53. It was a clear reference to Messiah. So he's saying that you you denied the Messiah in the second part of verse 14 says you asked for a murderer instead of Jesus. And you know they asked for Barabbas. You know how the story of Jesus' fake trial and the way to the cross went. And then in verse 15 we have these words. And you killed the author of life. Um, let that sink in for a moment. You killed the author of life. And, and it's really interesting. The word here doesn't simply mean that you, you killed the one who invented life and created life, the one who wrote the book of life. There's a deeper meaning here. The word could actually be translated uh, trailblazer. Think of somebody hacking a trail through the densest jungle, hacking a path for other people to follow. Or think of someone uh, cutting a pass through the mountains that's a difficult pass or a difficult road. That person would be called a trailblazer. And so the statement, you killed the author of life, is actually an indictment, which is basically saying, you killed the one who came to save you. You killed the one who came to deliver you, to bring you life, to chart the path of life. You, you killed the one who came to walk the, the path of obedience that you haven't walked. You killed the one that, that walked down the road to the cross all the way to the bitter end. You killed the author of life. 
And what's really incredible here, we saw it in chapter 2, we see it here, we'll see it again in chapter 4. The thing that for which these early Christians, and if we were there, we would have been part of it. The thing for which they were most guilty is crucifying the Lord is actually the thing that uh, in God's plan he used to bring about eternal salvation. Through the cross comes the crown and the victory. So, So Peter, he sets the record straight. He says, don't look at us. This isn't about us. It's about Jesus. And by the way, you're guilty. You guys, you guys sinned against God. You sinned against the one that came to save you. And then another thing that's really important here in verses, uh, verse 16 is that uh, there's faith in Jesus' name. Another thing that's really important here is that faith comes through Jesus' name. And this is where the message begins to turn a little bit. This is where uh, we see that there's a glimmer of hope for folks like them and folks like us. He says in verse 16, And and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus Christ has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And uh, it's by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Not just simply saying his name like it's some incantation, but the name of Jesus means something. You know, our names mean something to us, but in, in many ways they're just names. They're names that our parents gave us. They're names that were given to us that have been passed down. But the name of Jesus Christ is ripe with meaning. It's not like John Doe or Jane Smith. Jesus Christ is full of meaning. Jesus means he shall save his people from their sins. It means Savior. And Christ isn't just Jesus' last name. It's, it's his designation. Christ is Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the promised deliverer that God said he would send. And so Jesus Christ is believing in, trusting in Jesus Christ, is faith and trust and reliance upon God and the promises that he has for us in the gospel. And it's by faith in Jesus Christ that we come to God to become Christians. And it's by faith in Jesus Christ that we live our lives day in and day out. We trust in, we rest in. Jesus Christ. So those are some of the ways that uh, Peter sets the record straight. But he goes on and uh, the next thing that I think we see from the passage is, is focusing on the three R's. The three R's. You know, it has, they have to be alliteration. I'm a pastor. You know, they teach us that in seminary. And uh, so the three R's are not reading, writing, and arithmetic. They are... Repentance, refreshing, and restoration. And beginning of verse 17, I love how uh, Peter, he speaks very hard truths to these folks. But he doesn't go on to bury them. He, he knows that the Holy Spirit was working in their hearts and in their lives. And so... He says in verse 17, I know, brothers, that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. And that didn't remove their guilt, but it was an open door for the grace of God to come in. 
And even though that they were a total mess, totally guilty, full of shame, with deep shame and guilt and scars, God's love and God's grace could break into their lives. And that same thing is true today. God's love and God's grace can break into our lives and break down the barriers of shame and guilt. And even the scars that we have can be healed. And one of the most beautiful ways that this comes is through what we see in verse 19, repentance. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. He calls them to turn to the very one that they had denied and rejected. The same is true today. Jesus calls people who have denied and rejected him. He calls us to repent. And uh, repentance is turning from relying upon ourselves, turning from our sin and our idols and the ways that we try to escape, turning from them to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What, is, what happens when, when gospel or Christian repentance takes place? Verse 19 tells us, Repent therefore and turn again, turn from trying to live your life in your own strength, turn to the Lord Jesus that your sins may be blotted out. That your sins might be washed away. Cleansed from the record book of God. Washed by the blood of Jesus. All of our sins, past, present, and future. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now I don't know about you, but I, I know there have been times in my life where the idea of repenting doesn't sound fun. Repentance can be um, a dirty word for folks, maybe secretly or even publicly. I think it's one of the things that keeps people from coming to Jesus Christ by faith in coming to the Christian life because they see the beauty of Jesus, but they're also like, but you know, he's going to make me give up a lot of things. And I don't know if I want to follow him. And, and it's not just for people coming into the faith, but it's for people that uh, have been Christians for a long time. We can kind of make this uh, bartering arrangement with God. Yes, God, you can have all these things. I love you. But uh, this part, I'll just hold on to that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll live my life for you, but... I can't give you this. And for, for a lot of us, that idea of repenting is not something that brings refreshing, but it's something that we dread and we're afraid of. And uh, you know, we think that we can't be happy if we don't have those things that we're holding on to. There are all sorts of things, all sorts of idols that we have that we think, if this is taken away from me, my life will not be worth living. But what happens? What happens to us and in us when we look to other things to bring happiness and fulfillment? When we look to those idols to 
to meet our deepest needs. They become more and more empty, don't they? They don't work. And then we become slaves to them. Then we we become entrapped and enslaved. And that is the opposite of refreshing, isn't it? Repenting in and through Jesus Christ for the first time or the thousandth time is the pathway towards new life and hope and joy and refreshing. And when we repent and say to God, I know that this is not what you made me for, it's one of the ways that we can begin to be the women and the men that God created us to be. When we say, God, my life, my hope, my satisfaction is in you, then we can become those folks that God made us to be. So if you're here this morning and you feel like you're trapped, you feel like you are on this treadmill in your life, there is refreshing through repentance in Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to encourage you, challenge you to have the courage to come to somebody and say, you know what? This is an area in my life where I have a lot of trouble repenting and turning to Jesus. Have the courage to talk to someone. So that's one of the things, that's one of the three R's we see here is repentance. Another is refreshing. Verse 20, repent, turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What could be more refreshing than peace and fellowship and communion with God himself? Wouldn't it be beautiful to to be able, by God's grace, to stop the sin-shame cycle and to slow down and rest in Jesus? Think about how beautiful it would be to be able to say no to people and not feel tons of guilt because you've already been accepted by Jesus Christ. Think about how refreshing it could be to, to be able to offload our anxieties and our fears to the Lord Jesus who said... Cast your cares upon me and I will lift them up. Um, Repentance and refreshing go together. And it's interesting, Martin Luther, when he wrote the 95 Theses, he posted them on the door in Wittenberg, Germany. The first one was something like this, all of life is repentance. And that really is like a a cue for us. All of life toward repentance. Toward living in the way that God made us is from repenting and experience, experiencing refreshing that comes from the Lord himself. The more we grow as Christians, the less we need Jesus. No. The more we grow as Christians, the more we need Jesus and his grace. Many of you have heard this famous uh, C.S. Lewis quote before. Um, He says this, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like ignorant children who want to continue making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation by the sea. And... uh, You know, sometimes we lack vision. Life in Christ, fellowship with Christ, living by faith is so much more glorious and beautiful and amazing and refreshing than the junk that we settle for 
in our lives. And so we see that repentance and refreshing comes from God, but also in verse 21, we see that there's restoration that comes from Jesus as well. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And that restoration is something that Jesus will complete when he returns, but it's something that he already began. That's one of the reasons why he healed the sick and gave sight to the blind and uh, cast out demons. Because he was beginning to do that work of restoration that he promises to do completely in the future. And that's what happened with this man who'd been healed by Jesus. And uh, you remember when John the Baptist was in prison and he sent messengers to Christ and his disciples to see if Jesus was really the Christ. John had baptized his cousin Jesus. He heard the voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But he still had some questions. And so he said, are you really the Christ? And it says in Matthew uh, chapter 11, here's, here's Jesus' answer to, are you the promised one? Jesus answered and said, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news of the gospel preached to them. Those are all glimpses of the restoration that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's part of our hope and our trust in him. And one of the beautiful things about being a Christian is that we get to be part of that restoration now. We get to be part of, with King Jesus, we get to be part of helping heal the sick and give encouragement and, and helping heal the physical and spiritual wounds of others. We get to take part in that. And that's one of the most exciting things about being a Christian is that you get to help, you get to work alongside King Jesus in the restoration of all things. And it is so easy for us to be overwhelmed by the brokenness that we see in this world. It's so overwhelmed to think that uh, God isn't working and there's no restoration. When we see our own pain and scars and we see the scars and the hurt of other people, but we can never forget that God is still working. God is bringing about his purposes. And uh, when, we, when we work toward that end, toward restoration, we get to, to take part in a small way of God's eternal kingdom. And that's one of the most beautiful and exciting things about being a Christian. And it's connected to the work of the cross. So, setting the record straight... The three R's and the final thing uh, quickly is remembering God's promises. The last part of this sermon, Peter uh, goes in depth about how God's promises go way back into the Old Testament. He mentions Moses. He mentions Abraham again. He mentions all of the prophets. And basically what he's saying is that every aspect of God's word, every aspect of God's plan has been pointing forward to Jesus Christ the promised Messiah. And it says in verse 25, you're the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. One of the blessings that he says these these, uh, early Jewish folks had is that they had the privilege of having God's promises. And God's promise came to them first. The gospel came to them. Even though they crucified Christ, 
The promises of God and his gospel are inescapable. And that's true for us. We, we have the promises of God. Young people, you have the privilege of hearing about Jesus and his love for you and his great work from a very early age. And for those young people and for adults as well, it's interesting to read verse 23. It shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And that prophet Moses was talking about was Jesus. One of the things that's important for us to remember is that you can't live your life spiritually on cruise control. You have the promises. They're to you and for you. But it's also our responsibility, young people and adults, to respond and to follow Jesus Christ. There are wonderful blessings and promises in the gospel, but there are also loving warnings to us that there's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. So as we close, um, I'm sure there are some people here this morning. I'd bet that there are some people that feel worn down and burned out. Maybe uh, you feel that you're, you're run ragged. After all, I lost one hour of sleep last night. I'm exhausted. Uh, maybe you feel that way through the wear and tear of life. Maybe you feel that way uh, because of uh, struggles that you face in your life. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you just don't really care. And uh, you wonder if your small piece... Your, your life and the small role that you play really makes a difference. And even more than that, if who I am really makes a difference. Whether you're in the best days of your life or some of the hardest days of your life, I think there's one place we can go for the answer to those questions. We can look to the cross and to the empty tomb of Jesus. We can look to the right hand of the Father and see Jesus Christ glorified. And we can remember these words from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, the trailblazer, and finisher of our faith. He went ahead of us. He went down the path that we couldn't go. He went to the cross on our behalf on our behalf, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're still working, that you're still working uh, in huge, incredible ways around the world. We thank you that you're still working in the hearts and lives of individuals. And uh, I pray, Father, for folks here this morning that are battling and struggling and they wonder if you're real or if you're there or if you care about them. I pray for folks that feel 
uh, trapped and hopeless. I pray, Heavenly Father, for folks that uh, have known and tasted the refreshing that comes from God, and it seems like a distant memory. I pray that wherever folks are this morning, that we would we would see Jesus and see that repentance and refreshing and restoration comes from Him. And give us faith to turn to Him and to rest in Him and to live our lives in and through Him. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, we're going to uh, take up an offering to uh, support the work of our church. Um,